of St. Benedict, chapter 6, Fetaci Dormitate, of the practice of silence. Let us do as saith the prophet. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I have placed a watch over my mouth. I became dumb and was silent, and held my peace even from good things. Here the prophet showeth that if we ought at times to refrain even from good words for the sake of silence, how much more ought we to abstain from evil words on account of the punishment due to sin? Therefore, on account of the importance of silence, let leave to speak be seldom granted even to perfect disciples, although their conversation be good and holy and tending to edification. Because it is written, in much speaking thou shalt not avoid sin, and elsewhere death and life are in the power of the tongue. For it becometh the master to speak and to teach, but it beseemeth the disciple to be silent and to listen. And therefore, if anything has to be asked of the superior, let it be done with all humility and subjection of reverence. But as for buffoonery, or idle words such as move to laughter, we utterly condemn them in every place, nor do we allow the disciple to open his mouth in such discourse. But thou, Lord, have mercy upon us. We consider today the second of the essential elements of the Benedictine way. Yesterday, obedience. Today, silence. Tomorrow, humility. And so we have the three chapters of the Holy Rule, 5, 6, and 7, that constitute three pillars of Benedictine life. Silence, or as St. Benedict calls it, tachi turnitas, means the habit of holding one's tongue or remaining quiet. There are two aspects to silence. The first is ascetical, that is, silence as a means of avoiding sin. And the second is mystical, that is, Silence as a participation in the life of God. St. Benedict is explicit concerning the first aspect. He quotes Psalm 38, verses 2 and 3. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I have placed a watch over my mouth. I became dumb and was silent, and held my peace even from good things. I was dumb and was humbled and kept silence from good things. The story is well known how Abba Pambo, a father of the Egyptian
Egyptian desert, at the very outset of his monastic life, betook himself to an aged monk and asked direction of him. The old monk opened his psalter and began to read the opening verse of Psalm 38. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. The young Pombo said, stop there. That is enough. Let me go home now and practice this verse. Long years after, a brother asked Abba Pombo if he was yet perfect in the practice of this first lesson of his monastic life. The dear saint, now a venerable elder, replied, Forty and nine years have I dwelt in this desert and am only just beginning to learn how to obey this commandment. Do not then become discouraged if in the practice of holy silence you still have progress to make. No one of us is better than Abba Pambo. A monk must grow into silence. One begins by observing silence strictly in all the places and at all the times that our declarations and statutes prescribe, especially the following articles in our declarations, Article 47. Every member of the community is responsible for the observance of silence in the monastery, especially in the oratory, sacristy, chapter room and refectory. The monks will avoid speaking immediately before or after the divine office. If, however, it should be necessary to say something, they will do it quietly, in a place apart, and not in the presence of others. And Article 48. Outside the hours of great silence, the monks will express themselves modestly and in a subdued tone of voice, limiting themselves to exchanges that are cordial and brief. A subdued tone of voice does not mean an inaudible tone of voice. You have to be able to be, make yourself heard and understood. Although they may communicate with one another as needed in the context of the work assigned them, they will strive to do so briefly and with sobriety. The conversation at work is not the conversation at recreation. When obliged to speak, they will do so in a quiet and gentle tone of voice, such as to be heard only by the person whom they are addressing. They will request the permission of the prior before engaging in any prolonged private conversation will avoid all such subjects of conversation as may wound charity, lead to foolish levity, or foment dissension. And I would underscore this with regard to conversations of recreation. We avoid all such subjects as may wound charity, lead to foolish levity, or foment dissension. With regard to the second lead to foolish levity, this doesn't mean that we're to become 
best means. We avoid such subjects as may wound charity, lead to foolish levity, or foment dissension. At first, the observance of silence can be a struggle. To some brothers, at certain seasons and hours, silence may seem oppressive, confining, and negative. This kind of silence is, however, absolutely necessary. Without it, a man will never become a monk. It is one of the hard and rugged things by which we make our way towards God. When tempted against the observance of silence, recall St. Benedict's wise words in the prologue. If anything be somewhat strictly laid down, according to the dictates of sound reason, for the amendment of vices, or the preservation of charity, do not therefore fly in dismay from the way of salvation, whose beginning cannot but be straight and difficult. Whose beginning cannot but be straight and difficult. If Abba Pombo, after 38 years, said that he was just beginning, there is no one of us here who can claim not to be just beginning. It is told that a monk in Egypt, who lived in the same house with others, asked Abba Vesarion, What should I do? The old man replied, Keep silence, and do not compare yourself with others. It's immense wisdom in this saying. Keep silence, and do not compare yourself with others. This is a wise counsel. It corresponds to the words spoken to Abba Arsenius. You know the story of Abba Arsenius. Um, while still living in the palace of the Byzantine emperor, Theodosius I, he was the tutor to the sons of the emperor, Abba Arsenius prayed to God in these words, Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. <clears throat> and a voice came to him saying, Arsenius, flee from men and you will be saved. I delight in this simple account because it tells us so much about Arsenius' prayer while he lived in the imperial palace as a tutor to the sons of the Byzantine Emperor Theodosius I. This was a comfortable and prestigious position. All the same, it left Arsenius unsatisfied and restless. And so he began to pray in the words of Psalm 24, Vias tuas domine demonstra miki, et semitas tuas edocene, Direct my way, Lord, as thou wilt. Teach me thy own paths. Uh, this is the prayer of a man um, seeking his vocation, seeking his way in life. And a voice came to Arsenius. Did it strike his ears, or was it a voice that struck the heart? The answer came, Arsenius Flee from men, and 
you will be saved. This answer corresponds to what a man does when he enters the monastery. He flees from men, that is, from worldly society and its blandishments. But it is not but the first step. It is but the beginning of a lifelong journey into the silence of God. Listen again to the life of Arsenius. Having withdrawn to the solitary life, so he leaves the <coughs> imperial palace and he goes to the desert. And the monks are very suspicious of this elegant, learned chap who arrives from uh, the, the household of the emperor. And he had already lived that way of life for a long time. He was accustomed to his creaturely comforts. He was accustomed to a certain standard of living. And he presents himself to the fathers of the desert. They're thinking, who is this man? But they receive him. And having withdrawn to the solitary life, he made the same prayer again. It's interesting that even after entering the monastery, Arsenius continues to pray, Vias tuas domine demonstramiki. Show me thy ways, O Lord. And he heard a voice saying to him, Arsenius, flee, be silent, pray always, for these are the source of sinlessness. In the Latin text it comes to us this way, fuge, tace, quiesce. Fuge, tace, quiesce. It is not enough to flee from the society of men if one continues noisily to entertain the world in one's heart. After fuga, the flight from the world, there comes Tachiturnitas, an acquired preference for silence over speech. Then comes quies, that is quiet, rest, and peace. The quies of the word spoken to Abba Arsenius corresponds to the Ezukia of the Greek fathers. It is quiet repose in God. Was a quiet repose, purchased dearly by all the abnegations of flight from the world and the habitual practice of silence. The mystical aspect of silence radiates from the sacred host. The word, silent in his bitter passion, according to the word of the evangelist, Jesus Alten Tachebat remains silent still in the most holy sacrament of the altar. One who tarries in the presence of the sacred host will over time, or sometimes by special grace in the twinkling of an eye, be drawn into the silence of the word in the bosom of the Father. In the beginning was the word Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
The same was in the beginning with God. A monastery such as ours, wherein the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament holds a privileged place, will necessarily be affected by the silence of the sacred host. To be drawn into the silence of the sacred host is to enter with the Son and by the Son into the bosom of the Father. This is the grace of which Blessed Abbot Marmion so often speaks, presenting it as the normal flowering of baptism and of monastic profession, and as the fruit of Holy Communion. Participation in the silence of the word in Simon Patris, by means of adoration, the most holy sacrament of the altar, is integral to the Mechtildian hermeneutic of the Holy Word.